Let's do that hockey. All right. Hockey might be gone, but I'm back on the podcast bringing you some prospect talk and chatter. So let's get to it. This is episode 82 of Dauber Prospects Radio. I'm your host, Peter Harling. Um, just wanted to say that I've been uh, off for a few months, but uh, with everyone on lockdown right now with the whole COVID-19 situation, I'm stuck indoors at my house like everyone else is. Sadly, I don't have any hockey to watch, but uh, that gives me some time to get back into the swing of things with the podcast. So I'm happy to be back and very pleased to have with me in the guest interview coming up in this latter half of this show will be none other than TSN's director of scouting uh, and broadcaster, Craig Button. You may know him from such former roles as uh, scout for the Minnesota Wild, the director of scouting for the Dallas Stars when they won their Stanley Cup, and he was also the Calgary Flames general manager for about three years as well. This will be Craig's second time on the podcast, so I'm elated to have a guest of his caliber come on. He and I will be uh, going over his draft rankings, some draft prospects, um, comparing maybe some players to NHL Central Scouting's ranking, uh, and just having some general draft prospect conversation. Uh, But before we get to that, I'm going to go over uh, my own rankings of the top 31. Uh, This was a particularly difficult year for me to do these rankings uh, for a couple reasons. Um, I had a a couple of months where I was in between jobs that I had an opportunity to watch a fair amount of hockey. But other than that, it's been very difficult for me this year to get out and see uh, as much hockey as I would normally and would like to. Uh, And it also didn't help that that the season was cut way short. Uh, So I guess everyone's in the same boat that way when it comes to assessing players and players prospects and, and the rankings the like but most of the final rankings are up right now uh, a couple of places that uh, I highly recommend would be our own Dauber prospects um, rankings you got Cam Robinson with his overall rankings Yoki Nevalainen our director of European scouting uh, for Dauber prospects has his European um, draft eligible rankings uh, of course Craig Button's TSN rankings uh, are, are just went up recently as well um, Sam Cosentino for Sportsnet does one. Uh, love his a lot. Uh, Mike Morial from NHL.com uh, did a ranking as well. Um, big fan, as you know, of Russ Cohen. You can find his top 31 um, on his website called Sportsology. Uh, the draft analyst, Steve Cornianis, uh, good friends with Steve. His draft rankings uh, recently went up as well. His are very good. HockeyProspect.com, of course, uh, is, you know, pretty much the best uh, when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, so there's a few for you to look over as well. You can find those all online real quickly. Um, I'm also going to be doing a few more episodes coming up. I'm going to have Yoki on an episode, and he and I are going to talk all about the European prospects from the draft. So I'll go over several of them in my rankings, but uh, in order to keep this kind of short to sweet, and so you don't have to fast forward through too much to get to Craig Button, uh, I'll just give some bullet points for my top 31. Um, And I'm also planning on having an episode uh, very shortly um, talking about some players who have signed coming out of college. So NCAA free agents, drafted and undrafted players alike, um, just trying to uh, secure a date and some guests for that, but uh, I 
been talking to Julie Robenheimer, who is uh, previously on the podcast as well, and an excellent source for college hockey. So without any further ado, let's, uh, let's get into it and do uh, my Dauber Prospects Radio uh, top 31 ranking for the 2020 draft. So this is not a, a fantasy ranking, but um, being a fantasy hockey show, I always put a little bit of slant in favor towards the uh, fantasy upside. So that is a bit of a bias, I suppose, more than anything else. All right, so the first overall ranked player is Alexis Lafreniere. I think the only person I've seen who didn't rank him number one uh, was Cam. And his reasoning behind ranking uh, Lafreniere second and Byfield first is that uh, he thinks that, well, Lafreniere is the best player right now. Uh, when you project long-term down the road, he thinks Byfield will have the bigger uh, impact, being a center, being um, comparably skilled. Having a little bit more size and his skating, I think, is an advantage as well. Uh, and Cam makes all very legit points. Uh, I like everything that he says, and he might might very well be right. However, I don't have a crystal ball, so um, I'm going to stick with uh, Lafreniere because, you know, as much as I like Byfield, and I was really heavily leaning towards making him first after my early season viewings of Byfield, um, Lafreniere is, is also... Got pretty good size. He's 6'1", 196, so size not a problem for him. Skating is not a problem. He was dominant at the World Juniors for Canada, so he's you know, elite and dominating uh, in his age group. He is, another difference here between these two is he's in October 01 versus Byfield is in August 02. So they're almost an entire year apart in age, um, which I think factors heavily in Cam's decision as well. Uh, and really leaned me towards putting Byfield first as well. Um, so I'm not really discouraged by the fact that Byfield was struggling at the World Juniors um, and that he didn't really get a lot of ice time. And head-to-head uh, -head again versus um, Lafreniere at the top prospect game. Lafreniere stole the show and Byfield was, wasn't bad, but he was pretty invisible in that game. Um, those small samples aside, the games that I saw him play live and there was a couple of them this year he was just dominant um and he, he uh, interviewed him there's a previous podcast if you missed it where it's a focus on on Quinton Byfield uh, and he compares himself to Evgeny Malkin I think that's a very good comparison I think a good comparison for Lafreniere is Jonathan Huberdeau uh so anyways first overall ranked I go Lafreniere um he's dominated uh, offensively, physically. Uh, he's NHL ready now. Uh, I don't think that players who are drafted first overall always necessarily should play in the NHL right away, but I think Lafreniere um, can, and I think that's why he'll go first. Uh, so Byfield at second, so he's big, he's skilled, skating is his best asset. Um, it possibly has the biggest long-term upside, and I don't think that he's going to be NHL ready if the season starts next year. Uh, I think he needs a little bit more time, another season of, of development. No one ever said a player was overdeveloped going into the NHL from junior. So 1-2 Lafreniere Byfield. Um, that's pretty common amongst most rankings, and uh, the top 10 are, are pretty consistent as well. But this is where it gets a little interesting, and you see a bit of variety as to who is ranked third. For me, it's Tim Stutzel, uh, left-wing German from Mannheim. He's a January 02 born, six foot, 185, decent size. Compares to Matt Barzell, uh, I just 
totally fell in love with him at the World Juniors. Loved everything I saw about him. I think he's an impactful player. He's got quick hands, quick feet. He thinks the game very quick. He's dynamic offensive player. Uh, he's the kind of player you can draft, and you're, you'll sell a lot of his jerseys. Uh, fans will love him, and he's going to have a good legacy, I think, uh, in the NHL. So I, I, I gave Stutzel the slight edge at three, just ahead of uh, Cole Perfetti. Saginaw, spirit from the OHL. He's uh, also a January 02, a little bit smaller, 5'10", 171, but that's fine. Um, he has got some elite skill and hockey IQ. He's got a strong compete level. The game I saw him against the Ottawa 67s this season, he was the best player in that game on the ice, um, and it wasn't even close. But that's just one game. Uh, but all the other games I saw him play on TV, uh, he stood out and was really impressive as well. I think he's got a tremendous upside, um, and he could be a, a top six uh, forward, a center or a winger, uh, probably on the wing when he makes it to the NHL. Uh, right behind him is Marco Rossi, Ottawa 67s. Uh, he's had an amazing season. He's a September 01, so he's a little bit on the older side for this draft. Uh, he's a little bit on the smaller size, too, 5'9", 183. But the, uh, the Austrian center led the CHL in scoring as a draft-eligible player. That's pretty impressive. He had 120 points and 56 games played. And the thing that stands out to me about Rossi is... He's very, very impressive. He is outstanding without the puck, and then when he has the puck on his stick, he's even better. He is lights out good. Um, so all five of my top five players are guys who I think have top six NHL potential and are extremely fantasy relevant, and if you get a chance to draft any of these guys in your draft, you'll be super fortunate. Right behind him at number six, I'm going to go Alexander Holtz, right winger, uh, he's a German playing in the SHL. Uh, he's a January 02, and he's six six foot one, one ninety two. Uh, so he's a goal scorer. Uh, he's got a nice variety of shots, quick release on his shots, uh, and of course, in fantasy hockey, goal scores are at a premium. Uh, so there's a lot to like about Alexander Holtz. He's just ahead of number seven. I have Jamie Drysdale, top defenseman in the draft. I think at the beginning of the year, it was him and, and not even close to anyone else. But I think a lot of defensemen, he hasn't gotten any worse. He had a strong season. He developed. He played his way on to uh, Team Canada World Junior roster. But the gap between him and everyone else closed a little bit. But he's still the, the hands-down number one. Uh, so Erie Otter defenseman, uh, he's an April 02. So that's nice and young. Uh, 5'11", 175. Uh, his player comparable is kind of like Cam McCarr or Morgan Riley from the Leafs. He's got plus skating, plus IQ. He's a better-than-average offensive defenseman. He can run the power play, and he's got top-pairing upside. Maybe not number one overall defenseman, depending on who else is on his team at the NHL level, but I think he projects to be a top-pairing kind of guy. Number eight, I have Lucas Raymond. Um... A Swedish player playing in the SHL as a draft eligible. That's always impressive. He's a March 02 at 5'11", 170. He's a creative player, very skilled. Uh, he's speedy. He's uh, didn't get as much ice time in the SHL as the veterans did, but uh, he still had a, a very good season, and he had a very good showing at the World Juniors as a two-time underager. Uh, so very impressive season from Lucas Raymond. Um 
strong season there. He's ranked at number eight. Number nine, I'm going with a goalie in my top ten. Yaroslav Askarov, the uh, six foot three Russian goalie playing in the VHL. He uh, struggled a little bit at the World Juniors. He had some uh, some happy feet. He looked a little shaky on a bunch of plays. He got pulled a couple times. Then um, that's a small sample size. If that's all you've seen of of Askarov, just ignore that. Pretend you didn't see anything. Um, he is a dominant goalie with franchise upside comparable to Pekka Rene or Carey Price. Um, don't hesitate to draft him. And rounding out my top 10 is Anton Lundell, the two-way Finnish center. Falls a little bit down on my rankings here compared to some others perhaps, um, and that's maybe the emphasis on offense and fantasy hockey that I tend to lean towards. But he's got the uh, the best defensive game out of all the draft-eligible forwards. He's a two-way center um, with a very high floor but a very low offensive ceiling potentially. Um, He's going to have to uh, do a little bit of skill practice and training in that department in order to be a top fantasy relevant prospect. Uh, Number 11, just outside the top 10, I'm going back to the Ottawa 67s with Jack Quinn. He's uh, September 01, six foot from Canada. Uh, He scored 50 goals in the shortened season. Um, so he kind of kind of got buried a little bit on the, the depth of the Ottawa has. Uh, but he's a pretty consistent scorer all season long and, and has been a pretty steady riser. And uh, it's my understanding that's one of the things that scouts really look for is players who continue to develop and, and show progress. And Jack Quinn had a really good season in terms of development that way scored a lot of even strength goals which is very impressive he didn't just cash in on the gravy on the power play uh with a skilled team so there's there's a lot of like about jack quinn uh he's ahead of another goal scorer noel gundler the swedish shl player he's born on october and he's 6'1 176 uh gundler the gunslinger he's a goal scorer he struggled with some inconsistency this season but uh hey like i said goal scoring is a premium in fantasy hockey and while he might have a little bit of uh risk on his file which is why he's a little bit lower than some of the other goal scorers like quinn and rossi and holtz uh he's still got a lot of upside uh number so he's 12 number 13 is the next defenseman on the list and i'm going us ndp player that would be jake sanderson left shot defenseman he's uh, a july 02 so a little on the younger side uh 6'1 186 uh, american born uh he's been a pretty big riser this season um but he's he kind of brings a little bit of everything. He's got it all. He's got size. He can skate very well. He's got some great leadership. He's good offensively and defensively. Um, and he projects to be a really good pro. Uh, he's been around hockey. His dad is former NHLer Jeff Sanderson. So a bit of a legacy player there. Uh, I really like him. And I think he has a bright future. Number 14, uh, Dylan Holloway. He's a... Uh, Wisconsin rookie freshman in the NCAA. Uh, he's a little bit on the older side for this draft, being a September 01 born, but he was the youngest player in the NCAA, and he had a pretty strong season there. And he was the 2019 CJHL Player of the Year. Um, so a lot of upside with Dylan Holloway. Uh, might be a little bit of 
development time for him in college before he's ready to turn pro. Number 15, you've got Dawson Mercer um, from the Q. 6'1", 181. He's a smart, creative, physical uh, forward, plays center for Shakutami in the in the Q. Uh, number 16, I go to the dub, another center, and that would be Connor Zeri from Kamloops, September 01. He's six foot 177. He had a really consistent season. He was very productive all season long. He didn't have uh, any more than a couple of games, one or two games, I think it was, stretches where he didn't have a point. So he's a very consistent point producer. Um, he's just kind of not exceptional at anything. I didn't. I didn't see nothing in his game really ever stood out to me in the games that I watched. He's just kind of a good all-round offensive player. Number seventeen, Seth Jarvis, again from the Dub. Uh, he's a center winger. He's a February 02, 180. Uh, he had a monster second half. Didn't really see much of him play all season, so I'm just kind of going off what I've read from other people. But he really surged up the rankings on a lot of people's lists um, with his uh, second half of this short season. Uh, so he's kind of a, a big-time draft season riser like Braden Tracy was last year from the dub. Um, going to 18th overall and Russian forward, um, left-wing, right-wing, Rodian Amirov from the MHL. Uh, 6'1", 167, so a little on the slight side. Um, saw him play in the Canada-Russia series. Uh, didn't see anything there that really or that really popped. Um, didn't get a chance to watch any MHL games online this season, and he didn't make the World Juniors. So my personal viewings of him are very limited, so I don't really have a lot of personal opinion about him, just going off uh, some trusted people that I that have seen him play a lot more. And they say he's really smart. He's a speedy, skilled uh, forward. But uh, yeah, I think he needs to add some bulk to his frame in order to, to compete at the pro or nhl level and you know being russian it could be a few years before he's ready to cross the pond so he's a long-term play uh so that moves him those reasons move him down a little bit on my rankings if, if you see him higher on other people's 19th rank i go uh caden gooley uh left shot defenseman from prince albert in the dub he's 6'2 188 his older brother um i believe is playing for the the ducks right now and he is a big mobile defenseman, great skating. He's offensive, um, but he kind of projects more as a 4-6 uh, middle pairing complementary defenseman. Um, good size, big shot. Uh, go on a little bit of a run on D here. At number 20, I go William Wallander, another left shot D, playing for Moto in the Super Elite League in Sweden. He's 6'4", 191. So he's a big, mobile, defensive defenseman. Um, better in his own zone, but he does uh, but he does have some offensive upside. So if you're in a Roto League where defensemen get um, bonus points for hits and blocks and whatnot, uh, that would give him some, some extra value. If not, if you're in a points-only league, maybe, maybe slide him down a little. 21, uh, Jeremy Poirier, another defenseman, right shot D, uh, St. John's, uh, June 02, so a little bit on the younger side. He had 20 goals as a defenseman um, to lead all the, the D in scoring in the queue. Can't overlook that. Um, 20 goals as a defenseman in any league is outstanding, and for fantasy hockey purposes, goals count in, in pretty much every league I've ever heard of. And get offense from your defense is, is a bonus. 
Uh, next defenseman is 22nd overall, uh, Emil Andre, Swedish left shot defenseman. A uh, little on the undersized side, 5'9", 181, but he's a mobile two-way smart defenseman. Um, again, not someone who I've seen personally, but basically going off what Yoki tells me about him. Um, going back to forwards at 23rd overall, we've got uh, Brandon Brusson, uh, USHL uh, center for Chicago. Um, he's 5'11", 171, American-born. He's committed to play in the NCAA next year, of course, and he'll be going to the University of Michigan. So he's a couple seasons away from NHL as well. Um, he was second overall in USHL scoring, and I didn't, don't watch USHL games. So uh, just trusting the opinion of people like Russ Cohen, who does watch a lot, and uh, he's pretty high on him. So and his, his opinion carries a lot of weight with me. 24th overall, J.J. Paterka. Uh, playing for uh, in the in the German DEL 510 decent uh, actually a little on the small size uh, but he's got some good speed good hands um, he's a strong four checker despite being on the, the small size saw him play for Germany at the world juniors and was really impressed um, and he was able to to produce some offense at the world juniors as well more than uh, Reichel who a lot of people have ranked higher than Paterka but I like Paterka more than Reichel because of what I saw at the World Juniors. Uh, 25th overall, we've got center Maverick Bork from Schwinnigan in the queue. He's uh, also 5'10". Uh, he's a good two-way uh, center. Uh, and he's got some, some great playmaking and passing abilities. I uh, liked what I saw from him. 26th overall, Jan Mysak. Uh, he is a center from the Czech Republic. He came over after the World Juniors and played for Hamilton and uh, got to see him live. Uh, he's 5'11", 180, but he's got some smilky, silky smooth hands, some very good moves, um, scored some highlight reel goals. He's got a pretty decent shot. Uh, and the game I saw him, they were playing him on the point on the power play. I'm not sure how long that lasted, but that was like his first or second game in the OHL. Liked what I saw from him uh, internationally as well. So uh, pretty good upside there. Hendrix Leperrier, uh, Leperrier, center for Chicoutimi, uh, February 02. He's uh, six foot 179. Uh, he's injured a lot this year, so he only played in 19 games, but he did post 17 points. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch him. I didn't see any of his 19 games played. Uh, obviously, he didn't make Team Canada or anything like that. Uh, but he uses potential. He might have some pretty good sleeper value because he'll be sliding down some people's lists because they didn't see him. Uh, but if you look at his uh, his career and his, how he did last year uh, as a rookie in the queue, it was very impressive. And uh, I like what I read about him as well. So I think he's got the potential to be a really good sleeper pick or a later round value pick, especially if he falls down in the NHL draft ranking boards as well as a result of the injuries. All right, almost done here. 28th overall. Uh, I go back with one more defenseman on my list, and that will be Braden Schneider from the Brandon Wheat Kings in the dub. Uh, he's 6'2", 202, so he's got some size. He's a good two-way defenseman with offensive upside. He's good in all situations. Uh, but pretty much would be a, a complimentary player, I would say. Um, 29th overall, I go Zion Nybeck. The Swedish right winger playing in the Super Elite League. He's 5'7", 182, so a bit on the small side. 
but he's a speedster. He's very elusive. He's got silky smooth hands as well, and he's got some creative upside. Um, we all know that size doesn't really matter anymore in the NHL, so I think he's got a very good upside in, uh, in value as well. 30th, I go Jacob Perot, uh, Sarnia Sting, right winger, son of former NHLer Yannick Perot. Uh, Yannick Perot was really known for his face-off prowess, but Jacob is known more for his goal scoring. He's a shooter. He's uh, got a great shot. Uh, he scored a lot on the power play for Sarnia. Unfortunately, when Sarnia came through Kingston, he was injured, and I didn't get to see him live. Um, but uh, yeah, still a very good player, highly ranked overall. 31st, Tyson Forrester from the uh, from Barry in the OHL. Uh, January 02, born 6'1", 194. He's a very good skilled offensive winger as well. He had a really strong showing at the top prospects game. Uh, you know, playing for Barry, they kind of finished last in the in the O or second last, wherever it was. Um, so when he got a chance to play with some elite players, he elevated his game. Uh, so that really kind of stood out to me, and I thought that was impressive. All right, so that's a wrap on my ranking of the 2020 NHL entry draft prospects. Now, that's enough of me. Let's move on and, and bring on our guest. He's actually an expert on this kind of stuff. That would be none other than the TSN director of scouting, uh, Craig Button, as I mentioned off the top of the show. Uh, Craig was super, super gracious enough to uh, come on the podcast, do an hour-long interview with me about and I'm really excited about how it went. So without any further ado, let's go to the conversation I had with Craig Button. All right, so interview time on the podcast now. And I'm very happy to be joined uh, for a third time, I believe, with uh, Director of Scouting, Craig Button. Uh, Craig usually joins me from the draft floor. But uh, since it doesn't look like there's going to be a draft, <laughs> a live draft anyways this year, uh, thanks so very much for, for doing it the old-fashioned way and coming online with me, Craig. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I, I, I will tell you this. We can have our draft floor be whatever it is and wherever it may be. We, we, we have a virtual draft floor, so let's just treat it like we're on the draft floor. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so. But one of the things that um, I'm, I'm really disappointed about with this whole situation is – some of the players that, that get drafted in the first round and have their moment on the stage and, and get up there and put on the jersey and the hat and the photo on stage and do the, the media gauntlet and talk to all the TV and radio and guys like me and you uh, and have that little 15 minutes of fame, for some of the players that get picked in the first round, that's it. That is their NHL experience. They go to some, some camps and maybe an exhibition game if they're lucky, but there's been a number of people drafted in the first round that have zero NHL games played. So it's a little bit sad that there's a possibility that some of the players from this draft class might be denied that. And hopefully everyone that does get drafted in the first round just makes it to the NHL someday. Yeah, I think that, well, I mean, when you're drafting somebody in the first round, uh, you know, every team has, uh, you know, the highest of hopes for the player they draft. But, you know, yes, you know, we're dealing with a scenario where, you know, that, uh, as you just pointed out about, being at the draft, it, it's hockey's the only sport, professional sport, that has all their teams in the same place with all the players there, and I, I, it is pretty special, Peter. And you know, we get to we get to see that, and we and the enthusiasm uh, from from the young players and their families and friends. It, it really is special. But what I will say is this: this may be a whole entirely new opportunity for NHL teams and the NHL. To, and, and, and media 
to try to engage with these players in, in, in different ways and, and in ways that we would have never thought about if this didn't happen. So yes, you're right, putting on the jersey, but maybe we, maybe we have to do it, uh, maybe we have to look at, uh, how we, Give it, give the players a different experience and, and how we, you know, engage with them and, and, and try to, you know, convey their excitement about being drafted and realizing their goal. Because, you know, whether it be high school students graduating, college students graduating, you know, we've seen it, uh, you know, with other sports where players like think of the NCAA hockey and, and basketball, you think about, uh, the CHL players that you know are not going to have an opportunity to to, per, to to try to finish the year and finish it with a championship, uh, you know that they've sacrificed for. So, you know, there's there's lots of it, and there's certain things we're not going to be able to make up for. And like I said, opportunity to you know try to convey the excitement and present it in a different way. We might not, we may have never thought about it if this didn't happen, but. I think these are things we got to consider and contemplate. Well, I like the glass half full and make the the best of every opportunity kind of mentality you have there, Craig. That's yes. that's good stuff. You know, talking about players not making it out of the first round. Um, I recently was on another podcast and we did a, a redraft of the 1997 draft. Um, the 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 top 15 players. And going back that far and doing some some research on the draft, I was a little bit surprised at how many players were picked in the first round um, that never really had any or any sort of significant NHL career. And, and one of the questions the hosts said he wanted to talk about was, is this the best draft class within, you know, five years forward or backwards? And I went through some of the other drafts and looked at that and noticed that there was a number of players that didn't make it into the NHL out of the first round of those drafts as well. Um, that seems to be a little bit different now. It, it, it seems like more and more and more players that are picked in the first round are, are having NHL careers of some, some degree. Uh, would you, how, what do you attribute that to? Do you attribute that to better development at the lower levels? Um, maybe perhaps better scouting, um, or player development once they're drafted or a little bit of all the above? How about four new teams? 98, 99, uh, five new teams. 98 Nashville, 99 Atlanta, which is now Winnipeg, Columbus, Minnesota in 2000, and now Vegas. Five new teams create new opportunities too. Peter, you go back through the course of the draft and, and you look at drafts. And so however you want to do a cutoff, you know, when you're drafting players and you look at players drafted in the first round, you're counting on them. You're counting on them being uh, important uh, players for your team for, for not one year, two years, but for a number of years. And so if you look at players that have played 350 games or 400 games, which is, you know, in that four to five year range uh, of career, I mean, less than approximately 45 play that many games. So, you know, and, and, and that doesn't, I mean, that's, that, that's going to be expanded a little bit as you get more teams, but there's no question that, that scouting, uh, the process and how you go about it, uh, has approved. There's no, because the resources are different and, 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 you know, you have, you have many more resources to be able to do it better, you know, from, from video scouting, from the analytic point of view, uh, you know, more scouts, you know, the, the, the world is more open now too. You know, our game really, when we start to think about an international game, it, it really is truly international. 
and and it starts at a much younger age. You know, the the players are more familiar with one another. You know, you, you have a background on the players, 15, 16 years of age, and, and not just from North America, but right around the world. So I think that as the knowledge on the players has increased and, and, and the processes uh, in terms of scouting have, have improved and, you know, technology and the tools at our disposal have, be, have, have become more numerous, I, I think that that inevitably leads uh, to, to, to better scouting. And I, and I think that that's, that's clearly what's happened, uh, over, over the last number of years. And I think we can see clear evidence of that. One of those tools that I think, uh, is heavily weighted on is the scouting combine. And we're not having that this year. Um, what impact do you think that'll have? And, and how are teams compensating for that? Are they allowed to, to interview players or are, can you shed some light on that? Yeah, you know, like the combine. So here's what I would say about the combine from, from a perspective. And, and, and so now we're into the physiology, right? So, you know, you think about, you know, testing players at a younger age and, you know, having, having benchmarks for, for what players have and, and the strength and conditioning coach and the physiologist that examine the data. So what becomes really important for the NHL teams, Peter, is that, you know, you know, you're picking, let's just say 11. Right. So you're looking at a cluster of players that you that you're considering in 11. You're not looking at 20 players. You're looking at four or five players. And, and that's really all you're looking at. You know, so now you, you go deeper into that player, into that group of players at that point. So let's say that you, you, you know, the scouting staff likes this player. And they go and they say, well, we really like him. We know that his skating has to improve, but we, we think that it's, it's really got the ability to improve once you get stronger. Now the physiologist and the strength and conditioning coaches come over and go, well, wait a second here. Looking at his body composition and, and you know, the testing that they do off of force plates and the, and, and the different uh, tests they use, they might say, that player doesn't have as much uh, room to improve as that player. Now you bring in your skating coach and your skating coach comes in and says, well, that player's stride, you know, that's kind of something that's really hard to change. So you, you, you factor in all these different elements, uh, to, to try to gain the most confidence with a, with, with a player that you're going to select and then you order them from there. The thing about the combine and the testing is that, you know, that becomes really important in building that confidence. Every NHL team is not going to have that. Now, I don't know if there's going to be a combine. Nobody does know that. But make no mistake about it. It has become a significant part uh, of the evaluation towards that that significant confidence level of saying this is our guy and this or our guys and this is the order we like them in because you're taking in all the information from many different areas. What about the interview process of the combine? Is that that that's something that would be possible to facilitate still remotely. I mean, we're using Skype right now. You're in Calgary. I'm in Kingston and we're having an interview. It'd be very possible for the teams to do that. They have to have league permission, I believe, to have those conversations, though. Is that well, something you would see happening? I know some players have have, have uh, had interviews with players. I, I, I don't think uh, you're not allowed to test players, but I, I think interviews right. are, are, are ongoing. Now, I will tell you this about the combine, you know, all those kids are there at the combine. It's a great opportunity for the teams and the players to, to, to meet one another. 
it's 15 minute lunch. That's what it is. If you, if you're, if you think you're calling any significant information from those 15 minute interviews, you are completely kidding yourself. You, you are not. Again, it does give teams an opportunity face to face. It might give a, a team an opportunity to ask a player about a specific scenario or situation, uh, surrounding them, a question they might want to answer that it might, and it gives players an opportunity to answer, you know, uh, a different question. But much, much like I talk about those clusters, the in-depth interviews are going to take place with that four or five player group that, that you're considering at pick 11 at any other pick. That's where you go in depth. That's where every team now, you know, how, 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 how much you can go in depth, what it means on a Skype or a FaceTime or a Zoom, uh, interview, all, all dependent on, on, on what you're trying to get out of it and, and what you feel, uh, is beneficial in terms of the interview process. But the combine is nice. You get to, like I said, put a, put a, put a name to a face, but it's, it's the in depth part. That's not going to be, and, and the person to person. Now you can go in depth on, on Skype or any of the other, uh, video platforms, but, but, but it's different, but it doesn't mean it can't be meaningful, but that's, that's where it goes. But the testing part is the one that's, uh, that's going to be, uh, you know, significant if they can't do that. I, I will tell you this about all the players, you know, 75, 80 of them going around the clock, going around the, uh, going around, uh, in Buffalo. They're going to be happy that they don't have to go and do that because, like Alexis Lafreniere, <laughs> like really he's got to go meet with the team picking eighth. No, right, right. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the draft and some rankings. Uh, in the segment just before this interview, I uh, I went over my my thirty one, and you posted your most recent Craigslist recently up on on TSN, and uh, so let's talk a little bit about. Uh, some of the players and where they are on, on your list. Um, I noticed it going through. Can I just ask one yeah. question, Peter? Yeah. I am, I am going to ask you about three players. Okay. At the conclusion of this. Okay. Just so, cause I want to get your insight on these three players. All right. Um, okay. So I noticed that going through a lot of other people's lists as well, that a common, the top three is, is almost always, but not, Entirely, um, Lafreniere, Byfield, and Stutzel, and uh, and you're you're consistent with that. Uh, you had Lafreniere at uh, at number one overall. I think that's a pretty uh, a general consensus opinion. Um, the Dauber prospects managing editor Cam Robinson, his list had Byfield at number one, and his argument to that was while he admits that Lafreniere had a better season this year and is a better player now, he his gut tells him that. Byfield could have uh, the better long-term career and NHL success. Um, I'm really curious to hear what, what your thought is on that, because I know when you do your draft rankings, it's not who's the best players today. It's your projecting three to five years down the road. Um, and you had Byfield at third on your list. So I'm really curious to hear what you have to think about those two players in comparison to each other. Well, yeah. Uh, again, really good points and, you know, certainly ones I don't disagree with. I mean, if somebody says that Quentin Byfield's the best player in this draft, I mean, I, I can make a case, uh, for, uh, Alexi Lafreniere, but I mean, that's not one that you're going, really? Okay. That's a, that's a head scratcher. Uh, when I, when I did my list, when we put out the list last week, 
you know, we, we, we did a video part of it and I was asked out of all these players who, who could end up, because we look back at a draft and we go, who could end up being, uh, the best player if we look back in three to five years time? And, and I did say Quentin Byfield because I think Quentin Byfield ha- has tremendous potential. Two things about Quentin that I feel. Number one, I, I really still feel that he's still finding out and figuring out how good a player he can be. I, we know the skill. I, I, I know his determination. I know how, how really, you know, how good he wants to be in all the areas of the game. But, but I think he's still figuring out how good he can be. And, and I think that's significant. And, you know, when, when, when I say that, I, I, I need to expound on that. And what I mean by that is, He's six foot four and he's got this power and this skill set that to me, once he understands how impactful he can be and how much he can impose himself on opponents and be that difficult to handle, I mean, he, he, he could be, he could be one of those players that's, you know, really, really impactful. So that's part of development. That's part of projection and certainly part of potential. The other thing about Quinton as well, and I think this is really significant, I think whoever drafts him in the draft, I think it'll be a huge mistake to put him in the NHL next year. Huge. And I'll tell you why. He has never dominated his age level once he turned junior. Not at the U-17, not at the Halenka tournament, and he should have never been on the World Junior Team. He wasn't ready for that level of competition. And I think for him to gain that confidence to be an imposing figure with the skill and the determination he has is that he, another year of junior dominating, putting up big points, going to the World Junior Championship and being a, a really key figure on that team. I think that that's what will allow him to do that. Now, there's a, there's a learning curve in there. And there's also the part about, you know, teams, quite frankly, uh, make mistakes in their development with players. You know, I, I say this all the time. Players are failed as much as they fail on their own. And so you better be careful. In my view, you better be careful with Quinton and look at the, look at the historical record. Now, when it comes to Alexi Lafreniere, from day one, from day one in the Quebec League, he has done nothing but perform. The first 16 year old since Sidney Crosby to score 40 goals or more. Goes to the U18 that year as a 16-year-old, leads Canada in scoring a force. Halinka, best on best, MVP, leads his team to gold, best player there. He goes, uh, he's the CHL player of the year, uh, coming back to the Quebec League. Uh, goes to the World Junior Tournament, MVP, we know what he did there. And, you know, the CHL player of the year, again, I mean, I, I don't see how he's not going to be, will be the first, will be the, he'll, be the second player after Crosby to win that award two times. Alexi Lafreniere can do it all. There's nothing he can't do in the game. I know that there's a, a year difference uh, just about in terms of their age, and that factors in. I, I really don't care about age. I care about how they're projected and how they're progressing and what I see as in the NHL. And I see Lafreniere as a star. And, you know, I, I've used this example. We drafted Jerome Ginla in 1995 in, in, in Dallas, and we thought he was going to be a really good player, a power forward, kind of a Gary Roberts, John McClain type player. That's what we thought he would be. Well, I'll tell you what, we knew he was a really good player. He not only became a star, he became a superstar. 
And so when I say Lafreniere can be as a star, I have no doubt he might end up being a superstar. And Byfield, I've I've done a range of type of player. I think at the very least he'll be Sean Couturier. And could he be Anze Kopitar, Evgeny Malkin, depending on which way he goes uh, with his development and, and, and where he weights his game? All I know is that those are three pretty good players, and that speaks to a pretty high-quality player. That is outstanding. This is why I love having you on the podcast, because you, uh, you and I seem to think very similar in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and you still people, my people next question. penalize you for that, Peter. Don't start. They'll say, "Don't start thinking like Craig." <laughs> <laughs> you do take a lot of heat on Twitter, I must say, and it makes me scratch my head that all these um, Twitter hockey experts uh, think they know more than a guy with a Stanley Cup ring and the resume that you support. Anyhow, um, you did steal my question though about how they're a year apart in age, and I think that is has a lot to do with uh, this, the sort of way that we see them ranked and, and the seasons that they had and gave Lafreniere an advantage both during the regular season and at the World Juniors. Um, I just think he's I, almost an entirely year ahead on his development. And this time next year, hopefully, I, I agree with you, I think Byfield should go back to junior and play another season in, with Sudbury. And uh, and I think you'll see a, a totally different guy at the World Juniors. I think he has a, the potential to dominate for Canada the way Lafreniere did this year. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. And, 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 you know, you could even go back to last year and say, okay, look at what happened with Alexi uh, in Vancouver. But Quinton didn't do what Alexi did at 16. And Quinton didn't do what Alexi did at 17. <laughs> in fact, he really didn't come close. So keep that in right. mind. <laughs> so if we want to go year to year, and I know that he's got an extra year on him, we're talking about the CHL player of the year. Quinton Byfield's not close to the CHL player of the year. Right. Um, another thing that you mentioned that um, that really resonated with me is that there's, he should not play in the NHL next year. So let's um, let's explore the possibility that he ends up going first overall. Right. Let's say Cam Robinson gets promoted to the GM of whoever wins the lottery and gets first pick overall, and he picks Byfield. There seems to be this unwritten rule that players picked first overall in the NHL entry draft have to graduate to the NHL. Um, I can't remember the last player that was picked first overall that, that didn't. And there's been a number of players, to your point, that shouldn't have. And it, it prop, perhaps tainted their their development and their career. Um, looking at you, Neil Yakupov. Um, do you think there's a chance that, or that in the future, a player will get picked first overall and not go in the, to the NHL right away and go back to, to junior or wherever he came from? Well, we're in a similar I'm not going to say similar, but but we could end up in a similar situation with a de- with well certainly a delayed draft, uh, not understanding uh, you know what happens with the 1920 with the 2019 2020 season and and you know the beginning of the 2020 2021 season. Alexander Ovechkin went first overall in 04, never had a chance because it was a lockout season, right? So so th- there's a first overall pick. Now, I was in Minnesota. I had just started in Minnesota when Mike Medano was drafted. He went back to junior. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you. I see Quinton a lot of the same in the same light as Mike. Terrific talents, terrific potential. But that ability to go and, and continue that growth and that progress, I, I think is significant for a young player. I saw how much it helped Mike. And Mike was the first. Mike was was the first guy. Uh, to go back to junior that was a first overall pick. 
And, you know, you look at Ovechkin. So I, I don't think it's about the first overall pick. A lot of times the first overall, well, not a lot of times, you know, the vast majority of times, a first overall pick is ready to move in. But Joe Thornton, I mean, you can't, I mean, he played his first year in the NHL. I mean, would have he potentially benefited by going back to junior? Perhaps, but it didn't hurt him. And I'm not saying that it would, that it would potentially hurt Quinton Byfield. What I'm saying is, is what I think would be best for him. And not just best in terms of watching him play, but knowing him. And, and I think Quinton is, is a player that comes in with, with, he's confident in his game, but it's kind of like he, he needs to wade in a little bit and, and wade in. And then once he gets comfortable, watch out. But if you don't get the chance to get comfortable and you get in over your head, yeah, you know what? You might be able to overcome it like Joe Thornton did. But Joe Thornton was a dominant 17-year-old, dominant 17-year-old. And Quinton was pretty dominant this year, too, in Sudbury. So I don't want to take that away from him despite him missing some games. But, again, it doesn't mean that it will hinder him. But, you know, looking forward in that regard, I, I think you have to look at the individual player. And, and, and it's for that reason that I say going back to junior for another year, I think could could benefit not only him tremendously, but the team that drafts him. Right. So uh, let's follow that up with a with a two part question. One: Do you think uh, Alexi Lafreniere is is NHL ready now and should play in the NHL next year? And what other players in the draft do you think are the closest to being NHL ready right away? Uh, well, I think Alexi Lafreniere is clearly ready. I think he's ready from a playing standpoint, skill standpoint, and maturity standpoint. And I, I don't think he's just like. And I just and I distinguish uh, Peter between playing and contributing. A lot of players can play in the league. Jack Hughes played in the league this year. Capocacco played in the league this year. Kirby Doc played in the league this year. And, and you cannot say that any one of those players to any extent were contributing players. It was a developmental year for them. Now, uh, Kirby Doc got a little bit better in the, in the new year and got some more opportunities, but it was developmental years for them. I don't look at the NHL as a developmental league, quite frankly. So, Lexi Lafreniere, I think he's got the ability to come in and get 60-plus points, and I think he's got a chance to come in and be a, a contributor right from the get-go he, because he's that good and he's that mature and, he, and he's ready to handle the rigors and the demands of the National Hockey League on a game-in, game-out basis. It's not that Jack Hughes, Capocalco, and Kirby Dock aren't going to be good players, and it doesn't mean they don't have good skill, but they're not ready. They weren't ready to contribute at the NHL level to any great extent, to any really even – even partially good extent. That's just where they found themselves in their development uh, uh, period and, and where they find themselves. But I think Alexi clearly has that. And as I pointed out, I mean, he's dominated. He's been a dominant player. I mean, I always tell young players, dominate the level you've been at, dominate it, own it, own your age group, and then move on. And I think Alexi's clearly done that. Now, to answer your question, I think the only other player that could come in and make a, be a contributor is Marco Rossi. Again, he's mature. He's got the physical maturity. He's got the skill. He's another late birthday. So I think that he could come in and contribute. The other two players that I think could come in and contribute probably at a lesser level, but I think they would clearly benefit from another year uh, outside the NHL are Stutzla and Anton Lundell. But when I look at Lundell, I know he's smart. I know he's competitive. I know that he knows how to play the game. But I, I want to see him try to develop more offense. 
And if you get into the NHL and you're trying to hang on, you miss a year. And Stutzla, I mean, the German league is a hard league and it's a demanding league. But again, another year, I just don't think would hurt them. Because for the most part, these players aren't going to good teams. They're going to teams that are going to struggle. And it's hard to get your footing and to gain that confidence by being productive when you're in those situations. Right. One of the reasons, I suppose, why some players go to the NHL as a development year as opposed to the AHL is the uh, the way the, the CBA works out between the NHL and CHL. They, they don't have the opportunity to, to graduate to the AHL. So they're kind of a tweener. Do they go back and, and have another year? Like, say, if they dominated already in their draft year in, in the CHL, they can't go to the A uh, unless, you know, there's a loophole there where they're uh, on loan from from a European club. Um, but generally speaking, it's one or the other. It's back to junior or, or to the NHL. Uh, that's, do you think that's got a lot to do with where some of these players spend their developmental year in the NHL as opposed to anywhere else? Well, I mean, each team's going to evaluate. I mean, a lot of teams want to have control over it. I, I, I don't see the NHL as a developmental league. Right. So I, clearly, I think it's a mistake if you're not ready to go and play in that league and you haven't dominated it. At, at, like, and you got to you have to have dominated and you have to be ready. And so, again, I've watched Jack Hughes dominate. I think he's going to be a star in the NHL. I wish there was a league he could have played in outside the NHL this year that would allow that physical maturity to, to come to play and and he could still be highly productive. And I I, I mentioned about Madonna. Madonna. Madonna was, he ended up breaking his wrist, uh, after he got sent back to junior in an all-star game. But you go back, I think he had 109 points in 40 games. So when he came into the National Hockey League the next year, it wasn't as the first overall pick. It was as the first overall pick and a dominant player. And, you know, I think that that becomes significant for players because you want to put players in the NHL and develop them. More mistakes are going to happen, and, and you're going to have more problems in the development process. And teams want to sit down and go, we want to control our players. I'll also say this. I think the American Hockey League, in a lot of instances, is harder than the National Hockey League for the top-end players. There's less skill down there, and there's tiers of players, younger players that, are, that, that have come in trying to find a way, middle-range players that are, that, that are fighting to get their opportunity in the NHL, and then the older players that are, you know, they're, they're good players and they're trying to figure out, am I going to Europe or am I staying here? And they're really counted upon to play those top minutes. And so do you get those opportunities? Because, you know, at the minor league level, you, you know, you got different objectives in terms of trying to win. So I think that becomes a real challenge for younger players to play in that league as well. Interesting. Um, a moment ago, you mentioned uh, one of the other players who could play in the NHL right now would be Marco Rossi. Um, Rossi and Quinn both played for the Ottawa 67s this year. Uh, Marco Rossi led the CHL in scoring, but you had Jack Quinn a little bit higher on your list. Um, talk to me about that. If somebody told me Marco Rossi should be ahead of Jack Quinn, I, I couldn't quibble about that. I'll tell you what it straight came down to. You know, Jack to me is, 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 is an elite goal scorer. And he's not just a one trick goal scorer. He, he scores all manner of ways. And he's a good, good, solid two way player. He kills penalties. And he wasn't reliant. I mean, he, he, he didn't rely uh, on others to drive his game. He drove his own game. And, 
you know, I see him as the best goal scorer in this draft. I see him as a potential 50 goal scorer in the NHL. I see him like David Pasternak. Now, I go to Marco Rossi, who's a center, and I see him like Nick Backstrom, a very, very top-end playmaker, very creative offensively, understands how you want to uh, create offense, where to create it, how to get the puck into, into the right hands, and he knows how to take advantage. So to me, like quite frankly, I, I went with David Pasternak uh, type with the 50 goals over, over, over the, the playmaker. But if you want a center that's a top-end playmaker, then you take Rossi over Quinn. If you want the guy that can score goals, and if you look at New Jersey, and I look at New Jersey, let's just say New Jersey's debating between the two. I'm taking Quinn because Quinn's a goal scorer, and I got Hughes, and I got Heischer. I, like I'm not taking Marco Rossi because I don't have a, I don't need a center there. I need somebody that can play off those guys and give them support. So I think it all comes down. They're they're in the same cluster, one over the other. To me, you weigh what each of them brings and and what would be best for your team, and go from there. Really, how much how much emphasis do you think teams picking in the in the first round of the the top half of the first round? Uh, how much emphasis do they put on? Uh, organizational need, or uh, is that is that a potential trump when it comes to between this guy or that guy, or or is it always just best player available and we'll do asset management after that? Okay, let me ask you this: Do you really think? And I, I'm asking this in a serious way, and I'll answer my question and let you answer. No. If if you think that I'm smart enough to tell you that the second guy is better than the third guy and the fourth guy is better than the fifth guy, I have no ability to do that. I think too many people and NHL teams spend too much time trying to do that with the so-called best player available. I don't know if Jack Quinn's better than, than Marco Rossi. I don't know if Mark Ross, Marco Rossi's better than Jack Quinn. I think they're both top-end players. I think you have to evaluate the players. Okay, here's what this player brings. Here's what this player brings. And, and you better have them in the right cluster. I'm not trying to compare somebody uh, down the list with, with these guys. I, I, my main goal is to have them in the right cluster. Then we can debate if, if the guy should be nine or six or four or three or seven. I, I have no problem with that debate back and forth. But you got to know what the players bring. And absolutely, you better, as an NHL team, be looking at what players bring to your team and, and what you may need. Because when you have a Jack Hughes and you saw what he did with Cole Caulfield for two years, well, I want guys that can put the puck in the net playing it beside him. I don't need another center. So you have to look at your prospect pool. You have to look at your what's in your cupboard. You have to understand what's coming because you're trying to build a team. And so, you know, the Edmonton Oilers all those years, all they did was take this player, this player, and they went nowhere because they didn't build a team. So, you have to understand how you're doing it. I'm not saying to be reckless and to take it from one area to another, but within that group, you look at it and you try to look, okay, what does this player have? And what does this too? I, I believe too, too many times, too often people are trying, well, six is better than seven. Okay. Like if you want to tell me six is better or seven is better than six, I probably won't have an argument, but you understand what each of them bring. I think that's the key. And some right. Okay. So I guess the, the flaw in, in my, Sorry, and, and and just this is the guy we're taking. And we're going to celebrate it. We're right. happy. So I guess the flaw in my statement was pick the best player available and then let asset management take over. You're saying 
the pick that you're making is asset management. The asset management starts with the pick. Totally agree. Peter, right. you just, I'm going to steal that commentary now. <laughs> I, I will give you, I will give you attribution. I haven't heard it said any better. Wow. Well, thanks for that. Um, okay. So let's, let's move down your list a, a tad. Um, Another player that I kind of, I really wanted to ask you about because I just really haven't had a chance to see him play, and you have him ranked really high, is Hendrix LaPerrier. Um, 19 games played, missed a whole bunch because of concussion, um, scored a lot in the 19 games that he played, and his rookie season in, in the queue was good, but I'm just looking at his stats on Elite Prospects. You've watched this guy play. Um, why are you so in love with him? Sell me on him. Well, I've watched Hendrix play since he was in midget, and... Right. Uh, he, he, to me, he's an elite player. He's, he's got an elite mind. He's got elite skills. And all, as I've continuously watched him over the years, all I've seen is him, you know, be better and better and better. And, and I'll go right to the Halenka Gretzky tournament last summer. Him, Cole Perfetti, and Askarov were the best players in that age group. And there was nobody. Drysdale was right there coming up behind. LaPierre dominated. LaPierre dominated. Okay, so when I'm looking at this player, I'm looking at the at at the game that he has. He's got a brilliant mind. The guy can play anywhere in the rink, anywhere in the rink. In fact, there's not a square inch of the ice that he cannot play in and be a really key key player in all those areas of the game. His game reminds me of Patrice Bergeron. So I know that he had a concussion, and he's got the playmaking skills. He's got the competitive will. He's got the He's got the ability to, to create offense. He's got the ability to take away opportunities from, from opponents uh, defensively. So I see him as a, as a supreme, supreme two-way player. Now, I'm looking at potential. The medical report will be a real key part for NHL teams to have that confidence that he's a player that they want to select. And, you know, Hendricks was very close, uh, was right nearing coming back to play. And he was excited about it. And I think he was not, and, and really enthusiastic to show what he's capable of. I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to try to be a doctor. I look at the potential and I see a player that's top end. And if the medical report checks out and, you know, you move forward with him, I don't have any doubt that he can be a top, top player from this year's draft. Nice. Um, another player you just mentioned right there, let's talk about him is, uh, is the Russian goalie, Askarov. Uh, Seen him play a couple times in international tournaments, and I really, really like what I see. Um, he stumbled a little bit in the World Juniors, but I don't care about that. Um, hey, he's great. He's a good goalie. Um, but something I've noticed lately is, and this is very obvious observation, is that goalies don't get a lot of love in the first round of the draft. Yeah, Spencer Knight go last year, uh, but a lot of people think you shouldn't draft goalies very early, and you and I both have Askarov high in our lists. How much faith do you put in not drafting goalies early? Is, is that just nonsense to you, or what? Well, I think I think you have to look at it with respect to, you know, okay, who are you comparing them to? So are you, what skaters are you comparing them to, forward or defense, number one? So, again, you, you, you try to get them in that right cluster, and you say, okay, how does his potential uh, relate to the skater's potential? And, and and then you can go from there. I don't think you just take the player away and say he's a goalie and it takes him longer. Like, it, it takes some players, skaters, longer 
to be able to find their their place, their footing in the National Hockey League. So, you know, what's different than that projection as opposed to a goalie projection? And, and I think you weigh those all together. But let me just, and I'm just going to, I know there's been some, but, you know, there's been defensemen that have been drafted high that haven't made it. There's right. been forwards that have been drafted high that haven't made it. But here's what I'm going to go through. Marc-Andre Fleury went first overall. Is that a problem? Nope. Was Terry Price a problem? No. Was Tuka Rask a problem? No. <laughs> Was Andre Vasilevsky a problem? <laughs> yeah, right? And, and I'll give you, and, and so Devin Dubnik <laughs> went the first round, and it took him a little bit of time, right? Like it did. And, and you know, we really found, he, he was finding his game at Edmonton, and then that whole year kind of blew up for everybody. And then he kind of had to go and reset, and then he's come back and been really good. And, and I know there's examples of other first-round goaltenders that, that haven't made it. I, I get it. But I think you've got to evaluate them vis-a-vis, okay, their skills, their abilities, their potential. At Sam Sonoff. I think Sam Sonoff was a great pick because Washington said, we're going to take this guy right here. We have Braden Holtby. We're not going to be looking at uh, Sam Sonoff for another four years or so, which is basically what it came out to. And, and then now you put him in the incubator and let him grow and outside. So you can also look at it that way. I think if you're looking at a goaltender to come in and immediately play, I think you're asking for problems. <laughs> okay, because I, I, just as I mentioned earlier about other players, I think it becomes really difficult to, to put players in the NHL that need development time even harder for a goaltender. So again, these, but I'm not worried about getting a player there a year sooner that isn't going to be as good as the goaltender. I'm going to take the, the, the guy that I think can make a bigger impact and has a greater potential. So that's how I feel about the whole goaltending argument. But I don't think it should be, I don't think you should ignore it. And I don't think that you should, uh, you know, just auto, uh, ignore the fact that they take a little bit more development time and, and understand that. But I don't think you should ignore them just because they're goalies and they might take it. The whole idea is to get good goaltenders and, and and get good defensemen and get good forwards at the different positions. Right. What what is that saying? Goaltending is fifty percent of everything, or if you have it, and it's everything if you don't have it, or something to that effect. It, it really is. I know. I know. I, I I you ask coaches, and you, you know, looking for goaltenders, and 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 again, like, so what's the difference between? Henrik Zetterberg uh, developing or Pavel Datsuk developing late or, or, or a, or a Braden Holtby developing late, right? Like, I mean, what, players of all different sizes, shapes, and spots in the draft develop. Some do and some don't. But when you're evaluating them, you have to be able to, to put everything into, into context. And I, I, I think you have to compare them. Then you sit down, okay, here's our pick. Do we want a goalie here? And and is, is this he But yeah, that's where we take them. And you know what? Again, I I, I wish it was perfect, but I, but I think it's it's too easy to just uh, uh, to just dismiss it as saying they need some development time, and therefore you shouldn't take them in the first round because there's lots of examples of goaltenders that have been top end goalies in the National Hockey League that were drafted in the first round. And the other thing I love that you said earlier, like you know, yeah, Yaroslav Askarov. You know, he, he wasn't comfortable at the World Junior Tournament. The, 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 the game was fast. It was a, it was steps up. And you could see that he wasn't comfortable. But, but if yeah. you're going to go and evaluate one stretch of a one tournament and not understand where he's at and, and further not understand where he's come from, I think you're, you're, that, that's where big mistakes get made. 
You know, so I'm not saying you don't look at something. You don't say, hey, listen, here's what we saw. But when and you've watched a scar off, I've watched a scar for a long time. He's the best goaltending prospect I've seen in under the draft since Carey Price. Yeah, he he's not the same person that was in the the Halenka or the U17s that was just a dominant goalie and was just unstoppable. I mean, well, you, you just couldn't score on him. And then the uh, something happened at the World Juniors. He was a little bit nervous, or I don't know what it was, but um, like you said, it was just a what two games really that he played. Um, yeah. That's not going to define his his uh his his promise as a prospect for for me anyways, and it shouldn't for anyone who knows what they're doing. Well, I think so. And Peter, I will also add this: if you go back and you watch the 2005 Under 18 Championship, Carey Price was a Canadian goalie. Okay, he had a save percentage under 900. He wasn't very good. <laughs> and if you wanted to go to that tournament and say, "Oh, Carey Price isn't that good," go ahead. Montreal Canadiens said, huh, uh-uh, we're taking them because they had a real depth of knowledge on the player and they had a real strength of conviction in the, in the, in the, in the determination of their evaluation. And again, you can look at players and you can, you can say they didn't play good. If that's how you're going to evaluate players potential based on if they played good or they played bad, you're, all you're doing is setting the foundation for mistakes. Right. And, Regret in the future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I like, you know, like, I mean, you know, a lot of part, we look at drafts, Peter, and we look at teams and say, okay, they do a good job. They, but, but what nobody ever gets a chance to do is look at teams lists and say, okay, we look and say they drafted this player. Oh, that's a great pick. But we don't know how they had players rated in and around that, right? That player might have come up and just, oh, geez, that worked out really good, right? And so, and conversely, you might have a list that, that that was flawed before your pick, and okay, it came to your pick and, and you got a good player. It doesn't mean that your scouting was in good order because you might have flaws, but you you didn't have to wear that mistake. And to me, scouting is not static. For many reasons, but one of the big reasons is for NHL teams and for scouts, individual scouts, is to continuously evaluate how did I evaluate that player? Where was I right? Where was I wrong? And guess what? You only get one pick in the first round. I mean, if everything goes in order, second round, right? And, but it's all those other players that you have to evaluate that you learn from. And it's always easier to, to, to go through that evaluation process when you don't have to wear the mistake. Yep. Uh, okay. So I'm running the clock here. Uh, I asked you a lot of draft questions. I can't let you go without asking at least one sort of scouting and fantasy hockey question. Oh. Um, yeah. So something you can maybe help me out with and, uh, anyone else who, who, follows hockey like I do with with fantasy hockey and prospects, I've noticed that there's some CHL players that are in their overage season that have uh, monster years, right? 100 plus points or whatever as a 20-year-old or what have you playing in the the dub or the O or the Q. Some of those players are undrafted and they get signed as free agents and they go on to have an NHL career or a very good career. Um, Some of them don't. What are some tells that we can, as the untrained eye watching these players, um, what are some things that could be indicative of, of which trend they're going to follow? They're going to make it and be NHLers or fantasy relevant or career minor leaguers are off to Europe or, or college or something? Well, here, a couple of things that I would say on that, Peter, is number one, like, you know, as players get older, 
you know, and they, they gain confidence and, and maturity. You know, they, they should be able to produce more if they have some ability. And, you know, I, like I say this all the time, but, you know, signing college free agents, junior free agents, European free agents, zero downside for NHL teams. You know, they're a little bit older. You know what? In, in, in some of those cases, the entry-level contract doesn't have to be as long. So you're looking at that and, and saying, okay, we're going to take a chance because, you know, seven rounds in a draft, you only have so many players. Now, putting that aside, there's there's two things that I would look at with these players. Number one is, is this a player, number one, that, that's been able to mature, that's gained, like he wasn't big enough or strong enough. He needed more time to physically mature, to find the way. And you go back in time and you say, okay, he produced here. He struggled as, as he did, but he got a little bit stronger and he, and he was projecting up. I, I, I think those are important areas to evaluate. What I would be really careful with is the player that was already physically mature that has this huge spike because he's older. And, and maybe not a huge spike, but he, for an example, you know, you go from 70 points, now you're a 20 year old and boom, you go to 100. That, that, that's almost a 50%, uh, you know, increase. So, you know, is that based on him becoming older and, and, and just a little bit more savvy and he can take advantage of it? Because remember now, you're going back to the NHL and where was that player, you know, because he's now going to be at the bottom of the totem pole again. And so is he going to be able to rise up? And, and maybe he can, but the trick for me, not trick, that's the wrong way to put it, but the area that you look at is that entry-level contract is three years. If it took that player four years to get to that point, like he's only got a three-year entry-level contract, where is he going to be at the end of the three years? And I think that you know if there's been if there's been something that's just kind of okay, he got stronger, he needed a little bit more time, those types of things. I, I think they become something that's significant. Like for an example, for an example, I, I'm just going to use him, Alex Iafalo. You watch him in June, you watch him in college, and he can skate. He, he, he got bigger and stronger, more powerful, and you could say, geez, he looks like a player that's going to really move forward here. L.A. signs him, took him a little bit of time, but much like he did in college, same trajectory, and he's there. It wasn't like this player that all of a sudden in his senior year in college or his overage year in junior all of a sudden rose up. I, I think it's it's great for players to do that, but – you want to see how they progressed through their timelines to understand, you know, how much of a tell that season is. Because I, I, I think uh, you can get those big spikes, but it might not be indicative. Right. Just because a player wasn't drafted when they were 17 or 18 years old doesn't uh, doesn't mean anything. Because there's been a lot of players that were never NHL drafted that went on to have Hall of Fame careers. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, a lot of times, you know, I, you know, people say, oh, uh, they missed them. I, I can tell you, and Peter, you're, you're, you're out there doing the work. I can tell you this. If a player goes through a draft, 31 teams didn't miss them. Maybe 30 missed them, but all 31 didn't miss them. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. What it means that the player did not show enough 
or wasn't capable of showing enough of his abilities. And, and that might be, again, just physical maturity, wasn't ready to do it. And then we, and then we see that as they, as they get a little bit more confident, a little bit more mature, that they're able to, to, to show what they're capable of. And, and I think that that's a big key to keep in mind. And, you know, again, I think what's, what, what, what's a really good indicator with free agents is where have they been before? Where have they been before and how have they progressed up? And you, you, you look at it and then you, you try to make your assessment. Still inexact, still not perfect, but certainly something that, that, that I try to, try to look at. And I think that there's opportunity to evaluate that in, in, in different areas. Right on. All right. I'm a little bit nervous, but uh, go ahead and hit me with your three players you want to hear from me about. Okay, Martin Kromiak, who I watched for a number of years with Slovakia, and he jumps over to Kingston uh, this year. You know, I thought he was always a player that internationally, I always liked him. I liked the way he skated. I liked the way he competed. But it seemed that he really took off once he got to Kingston. Well, playing with Shane Wright, um, it's not going to hurt anyone's game. Um, yeah, Martin Kromiak, he just he fit right in. He, he didn't have that uh, long adjustment period. Uh, I liked uh, the first game he saw, um, the first thing that stood out to me after game one was this kid, his kid can shoot. He's good shot. Um, and then as he grew more into his role, um, I just, I, I started to notice his smarts and his vision and his hockey sense a lot more. And that he's very good at finding open ice, anticipating plays, intercepting passes, uh, and anticipating where his line mates as he started to develop chemistry with them. That's something that, that stood out to me that, that grew. He and, and Wright and Wisdom were, um, at oftentimes a dominant line, um, in games. So well, I, yeah, I like him. I think he's, uh, I think he's a legit prospect. Well, you know, it's interesting when I, you know, we know how good Shane is, right? And I mean, I mean, what he did this year, but, it, and then, you know, certainly you get an opportunity to play with Shane, but, you know, you also, like, I guess what I would say is, is when you talk about how we fit in, it's not easy to play with top end players. It sounded like, it sounds to me, when I watched, you saw him a lot more than I did there. Kromiak really fit in nicely with, uh, with Shane Wright. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that, that, li- that line had excellent chemistry. And like I said, they were, they were often dominant. Well, so now my favorite name in the draft this year and, 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 I got two favorite names. I got the Gunner Wolf from Chicago Steel, Gunner Wolf Fontaine. Love the name. But my second, my, my tie is Zadie Wisdom. Now, yeah. the first time I saw him play, it, it was like, I mean, I saw him last year, but the first time you see him, you're like, whoa, is he taking a step ahead? And again, we talk about assertiveness and confidence and everything. So, you know, uh, thoughts on uh, Zadie Wisdom? Uh, I am a huge Zade Wisdom fan, and I think you could nickname him Charlie Hustle. So last year was his first year in the O, and um, he was like a dog after a bone. He was all over the ice. His compete level was the highest game in and game out. But there's a lot of other elements of his game that made him look like a rookie. Uh, like a, you know, like a 16 year old in, in the OHL. Uh-huh. And this year, this year, he's made significant significant improvement this year his confidence with the puck is night and day you know it's not a hot potato anymore it's last year it was that's my puck don't you dare touch it but as soon as he got it he didn't know what to do with it or look to look to pass it to another teammate um this year 
he'll take the puck and, and he'll hold it and he'll, you know, circle the wagons in the offensive zone until he sees something that he likes. He'll work the cycle. Um, he's just got so much more confidence. And his puck control ability has significantly improved. Uh, in particular, his pass reception. Um, his first year, you know, he kind of struggled taking some passes that bounce off his stick or a few feet uh, off his stick in front of him, and, and then he'd lose possession. This year, you couldn't give him a bad pass. You know, behind him, he just put his stick back between his legs and tap it up to his forehand and all in stride and keep on going. Um, a, a lot of people might think that he's just riding on the coattails of playing on a line with Shane Wright and Martin Kromiak, but I think that is a fallacy in an assumption. Um, he's, uh, he made so much progress this year and it's not because he's playing on a line with Shane Wright this year. Um, of course that didn't hurt, right? Obviously. Um, but I, I, I'm a big, big fan of this kid and I'm really anxious to see if, if he can continue to develop like he did last year. Um, he's going to be a dominant player next year. Well, I mean, I, I, I think watching him, he just became so much more sure of himself. Like, right? you know, like you just, well, you talked about the, uh, uh, you know, how he, he just seemed to be able to, okay, I just got to get the puck away from me. He didn't seem to have that confidence level, but it just seemed to me that he just, he went to a whole different level with respect to, uh, his understanding that he can do a lot more than just kind of be a player that, that kind of just fits in. Yep. And his, his hockey smarts um, evolved a lot uh, since he came into the league too. I mean, he was always an aggressive four checker, but he's much more smart about it now. And he understands um, the passing lanes and the flow of the game a lot more than he did as a rookie. And he creates so many turnovers and interceptions and creates chances for him and his line mates that way. And, and he's so good defensively that way too. Um, I mean, the coach can't play him enough. <laughs> Isn't that the greatest compliment? Yeah. It really yeah. is, is it? Yeah. I always say this, uh, Peter, you know, watch how the coaches use players. They're giving you a really good indication about what they feel about that player. They're really, you know, you can ask coaches, but watch how they use them. I think that gives you a really good sense of how much, how much confidence they have. In. So the last guy I'm going to ask you about is Jacob Murray. And again, I've watched him since he was in midget. I thought he was very close to making the, uh, uh, the Halinka team. <laughs> I thought he had played well enough to be right in the mix for it. Where are you at with, because I've seen him be really good. And I've seen him be unsure of himself. I've seen him, you know, at times, uh, you know, be assertive, at other times hesitate. What are your thoughts on him? So when I'm watching players, and um, I don't like to use the term scouting because I'm not scouting for anybody other than my own fantasy hockey team and podcast. Um, but when I'm watching players and assessing them, uh, what I'm looking for primarily, uh, my agenda is fantasy hockey related. And oh, okay. And Murray's, it's not really resonating that way, right? right? Like, uh, so this could sound like an insult, but it's really not. When you go to a front next game, you might not notice him. Uh, he just doesn't stand out, right? Yeah. He's not a flashy, he's not a flashy player, but he's a defenseman. And that's, that's great for a defenseman. That means he's not getting beat. Uh, he's not creating turnovers. He's not making blind passes through the neutral zone that are getting intercepted and banged in the back of his own net. Um, you know, it, it, for a defenseman to be invisible is is a compliment. Um, now, if he's an offensive defenseman and and you say uh, he's invisible, I can't even notice him. Then, 
then that's not good. Right. Um, but offense isn't his forte. Um, if he if he makes it to the pro level of the NHL, it's it's not going to be on the power play. Yeah, he's going to be that defensive type defenseman, move the puck effectively, and like you said, not be noticed. But, you know, just having watched him for so long and seeing those, like I said, I've seen I, I, I've seen everything you've seen, and but you know, you try to get a little bit greater sense uh, of what a player may be, and so and I think uh, I th- you haven't given me any reason uh, to think that. He he's he's better than what he's shown, or that he's worse than what he's shown. Right. Well, well there you go. You, nothing to be nervous about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. appreciate that, but I did because you know the pe- people that watch players on a regular basis, you know, get a really good sense of of, of those players. And the way you talk about Chromiak and the way you talk about uh, Zade Wisdom, it, it, it just gives you know. And the times I've seen those players play. And, uh, it just gives you, okay, others are seeing that, okay, it reinforces, or somebody saw that, that I see that, and always gives me that, uh, that opportunity to reflect and continue the evaluation. Yeah, man, it's, it's a big, big world, and you can't watch Kings and Frontenacs play 20 games a season. There's just nope. not enough hours in the day for you to watch all the teams play that many. If you see yeah. them play once or twice a year, I think you're you're probably doing well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you like me and everyone else, you have to rely on the opinions of other people who you respect that you know watch those players play a lot more often than you do. Yeah. you got to take in all the information. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't beat the eye test, right? <laughs> well... You know what? I, I, I like, I, the, the eye test is good, but, uh, you know, I go back and look at video, you look at, uh, the analytics part of it, and, you know, but what I'm always trying to work towards is that, like, is this in symmetry? Because if you go back and you watch a game, a lot of times I go and watch a game live, and then I want to go back and watch the video for certain areas. Did I see what I thought I saw? And, and that becomes confirmation. You go, okay, I didn't see that, or that's not exactly what I thought happened. And same thing with the with the analytics. You look at the numbers and you go, okay, that lines up with where I'm at. Or whoa, I better go back the next time and watch for some of these things. Maybe he gives away the puck more than I realized, right? And so you're always trying. To me, you're always trying to balance those out, and and like I said, get it streamlined in your evaluation. So that when you arrive at those points, when you're coming to what I call the data points of evaluation, you say, okay, here's where it's at. Here are my concerns. Here are where I'm satisfied. And you move on from there. Yep. It's, uh, it's just a piece of the puzzle, but it's a big one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, so how you, how you doing with the whole quarantine thing? You, uh, keeping yourself sane? You watching a lot of tape or? Yeah. Or I think, you know, putting what? No, 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 there's no putting my feet up. There's, uh, like I said to you, if this happened in August or September, it would be an entirely different scenario for us. We wouldn't have as much material to, to work with. So yeah, uh, looking at, uh, lots of different, uh, video and, you know, going back over notes and, you know, really what it's become is an opportunity to delve, uh, a little bit deeper, a little bit wider and, and even into some players that you haven't watched as much that you can delve in a, a little bit deeper in on and, you know, you know, just organize things. I, I, I think this has given all of us an opportunity to really organize things in how we are in, in, in our work that we've done and how we work going forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, 
I guess I'll just leave it at this and say I hope that the NHL is able to put together a live draft again this year, and uh, at which point I'll be able to say hi and shake your hand and thank you for coming on this podcast. But if it's not this summer, then uh, then I guess it'll be in 2021. Look forward to it. Right on, and, and maybe I'll even see you in the rink in the meantime somewhere along the way. I would bet on it. <laughs> okay. uh, Craig, Craig Thanks, Button Peter. for TSN. Thank you so much for your time and coming on the podcast and uh, stay inside and stay healthy till the world starts spinning again. Yep. I'm with you. You know what? As I say, uh, be well and keep well. Right on, brother. Cheers. Cheers.